Have you ever wondered how your sales performance compares against your competitors and peers? The B2B Sales Benchmark Report provides the definitive guide to what success looks like in 2021. See how you compare in terms of win rate, sales cycle, average deal value, relationships, and engagement. You can see the results and get the full report at ebster.com forward slash B2B dash sales dash benchmarks. This is Sales Ops Demystified, the number one most downloaded podcast in sales operations. We invite the brightest minds in sales operations onto the show to deconstruct the why, what, and how behind rep productivity, forecasting, metrics, and all things revenue. This podcast is brought to you by Ebster, the leading customer engagement platform for Salesforce. Welcome to another episode of Sales Operations Demystified. Anyone watching live, thank you very much for joining live. If you have any questions, ping them in the chat. Anyone listening, uh, either afterwards or on the podcast, Thank you so much for tuning in. Today we're joined by someone who has less experience than other people that we've spoken to, but I think this is super, super interesting to get kind of a different look at the sales operations career. Right? Last week, we had a guy called Jeff from Intercom who'd been in the game for like 20 years, obviously like a massive value there. But I think we're going to get different insights here. Right? We have someone who's super smart, who's been at sales for two different, yeah, two different startups. Um, that I'm really happy to have on. So, Joe, welcome. Thank you for having me. <laughs> My pleasure. Um, as you know, guys, we're going to run through the standard uh, nine questions, but also if we find stuff that's interesting, we'll jump in and highlight that. Um, so I already kind of know the answer to this, but I'm super excited to find out more. Is Joe, how did you get into sales ops in the first place? So it all kind of started when I was working as a SDR at Gay Carpenter. Mm-hmm. We, we had a few internal changes within the sales structure. And as such, we saw a drop in commission of about 60%. And as all salespeople, we're very focused on our commission. So, um, so that's digging into the numbers. So, sorry. That, so you guys were, you were selling stuff. So you, right. and, and then you noticed that you guys were getting paid less. Correct. And so you were like, okay, let's try and figure this out. Yeah. Uh, and what did you find? So I kind of first started digging into leads, obviously the trends just over year over year, and then tried to tie in when the drop of leads happened, sales addressable leads, shall I say, in terms yeah. of how we could sell to them and any internal changes. As such, we managed to tie this back to an internal change. Okay. And so that, would you say that the work that you were doing there was like sales operations work? Pretty much it was sales operations work at that point. We didn't have a fully fledged team then. Um, I think we had one member of the club. Sure. Okay. And so what happened after that? So after that, I kind of raised the issue internally with, with my boss and ended up being offered a, a move into sales ops. Fantastic. And so, so I assume that when you were doing that kind of investigative stuff into the process, you, you enjoyed that more than doing the FDR work. 
I enjoyed both, but I think I've always had an understanding of like, or tried to think of why, why things happen mm. and, and what causes it, right? And that's something with the liars kind of, um, I'm very easy and able to do the sales opera. Got it. Nice. Okay, and so then you you switched over into sales operations. What happened from, from there with Go Cardless? Uh, so we were managing a sales team of about 40 to 50 people between two so there's two people in the sales off team, 40 yep. to 50 salespeople. Sales and customer success, correct. Cool. Okay. And you're responsible for all of those people? Exactly. Everything and everything, really. Everything and anything. Sure. Um, yeah. And, and did you guys report into like the VP of sales or the sales manager? Correct. So we reported into the VP of sales and the CRO at that point. Uh, cool. So the VP of sales reported into... Okay. So the VP of sales was the CRO. Uh, we had a VP of sales and a chief revenue officer. We had cool. One. Okay. And then in your team, there, there was yourself and there was another sales operations person. Correct. Yeah. Okay, cool. And how did you find it? Uh, it was very challenging um, at first. Didn't really have a very clear scope. Mm-hmm. Our kind of general role, role was to uh, kind of help and enable the sales team, but it wasn't clear on what things we were doing that with. It was up to us to kind of own our own projects, to understand where we want to go, which, you know, sometimes can lead you down the wrong path or sometimes it can lead you down the right path. But you do kind of uh, hit those hurdles very quickly. And because obviously it was quite a, the, the person who joined sales operations before you joined, I assume wasn't there for that long. No, he had started about three months prior to me. Okay, fair enough. So it was quite a new, new operation. Um, and since then you moved on to a different company in sales operations again. Correct. And is the that department in the new company as uh, mature or slightly been there for a while? Or? It's it's smaller. It's just me. Oh, really? Yeah, nice. Um, so I'm now leading out the function and just trying to make sure that we we get in in kind of along the right tracks at least. And how many salespeople are you, are you currently working with? We currently have 19 and scaling very quickly. So when I started in January, we had uh, 11. Really high. Oh, fantastic. That's cool. Okay, so let's, I, I'm getting carried away here. I'm going to segue back into the main questions. Um, and you might have touched on this already, but what do you think makes a, an awesome sales operations person? Um, I mean, as I said, it's just this ability to, to dig into the why. Like, what is happening? Why does it happen? How, what are the impacts of this? Mm. And I think from that side, having worked in sales, had a very good experience kind of understand what changes and how that would impact the sales team mm. responsible to help the sales team to do the job. So having done that, I had great experience in going, okay, this will influence them in this way or this will hinder them. How can they get buy-in from the reps, which is ultimately one of the hardest things having mm. buy-in yeah. the team. To agree to the changes that you're trying to make in order to make their lives better, how can you visible and clear way? Got it. Um and so I, I can really see, it, because you really like this, like digging in and finding out why thing, it, as an FDR, someone's like, here's a process, you're going to implement the process, and then you might see something wrong with the process, but then that's not your job, right? Your job is to book more meetings. And so that really makes sense to me. Um, but And you also touched on another important point here is, yeah, you can dig into why you can make changes to the process, but there's completely no point if you can't influence the people who are actually running the process. Exactly. Um, and so... That's like you need these analytical skills to understand and assess 
and tweak processes, but then you need, that's what I actually find fa fascinating about the role is that you need those more like hard traditional skills, but then you also need these softer influencing skills. So could you share like, I don't want to, don't want to put you on the spot here, Joe, but a time where you've used your like softer skills to influence a, a rep or an SDR to adopt a new change that you're making? Um, I'm in the process, obviously, starting the sales operations function here. We're in the process of making a lot of changes, uh, some which the reps will obviously agree with and some which they won't. I think one of the big ones for me is when we're moving or migrating CRM at the moment. This is obviously a huge challenge. Mm -hmm. I get the reps over. You're going to have a completely new function, how it works, etc. And for them, it, it's about selling, or not selling, it's about influencing what are the benefits of it as opposed to the, the disadvantages, mm -hmm. right? Yes, you are going to have to work to understand the new tool, but it's going to make your life easy in terms of automation. And I think this is the rule you have to stick by. Automate where you can, and then just go manual where you So you're painting the vision of how great Salesforce is going to be. Exactly. <laughs> Whichever CRM you migrate to. Exactly, yeah. So, so out of interest, if you can share, which CRM are you moving to and from? We are moving from close.io over to Salesforce. Uh, cool, yeah, nice. Well, maybe we'll talk more about that later. Um, do you think that your your time as a BDR has made you more successful in sales operations? I definitely think it's it's impacted the way that I work in the role in, in, a, in a good way. I, I have a great understanding of if I make a change, how will that affect the reps and kind of what will their objections be to that? Mm. Like how, do we, how do we help? the team get around these changes? How do we help them in their daily job? And ultimately, as a as sales operations, you're there to kind of be the backbone for the for the function, for the team. So would you say that you think that experience is necessary to be effective at sales operations? Uh, I wouldn't say necessary, but even coming to Spendesk, I did a little bit of selling here just in the first few weeks, just mm -hmm. to understand what the rep was doing and go through it's cool to have, but it's not necessary. It's a very nice to have. Yeah. So actually, even if you don't have like past experience in sales ops, why why can you not just jump into a sales person's shoes for like two weeks to a month to like I, I do, do that? Do you get like big respect from um like the your reps as you're doing that? Like, did you think that helped you with the? Yeah, it definitely helps when you're when you're like giving them advice or helping with changes like. I know the process. I've gone through the process with you. Mm. We do it. And therefore, you, like, there's more of an element of trust between the two parties now. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Um, quick question. James, James is a loyal, a loyal supporter of the podcast slash webinar. Uh, yeah. I would love to know more about how you slash spendeth forecast. Is there any gems you can share? Okay. Um <laughs> I guess the way that we, we do it is we, we take a very uh, more so complicated model. We use the close date mm. and use the, the percentage likelihood to close. Uh, and this is, this is probably one of the easiest ways of doing it. Mm. And you can, you can use those multipliers to go, okay, it's going to close in this date at this percentage. Mm. Therefore, we know that we're going to hit X amount as our expected yeah. And I was actually speaking a super interesting conversation with some sales guys last week about how they, they take that data, but then they also have to uh, tweak it or modify it based on how optimistic or pessimistic their rep is. Correct. Uh, so it's, it feels like for every rep, you actually have this um, op optimism slash pessimism uh, factor 
And so do you, do you have those like formally or do you just do that? No. Uh, so we equally have a confidence level, same thing. Mm. So we, uh, we apply the percentage likelihood to close depending on the stage it's in, which mm. is we kind of decide a case. So it's in the, the fifth stage of the funnel. It's about 50% to close. And then we have the rep confidence or the confidence to close. Then saying, okay, it's 60% or it's 100%. And then we just multiply the 2%. Uh-huh. But then you also have to apply this factor to that confidence vote because that's from the rep, right? Exactly. It, gives it, something, it just gives it a little more human touch as opposed to this is what I think it should be, which sure. is always right. Nice. Um, okay, moving on. Um, the current ops tech stack. So we have Salesforce as a CRM moving from closed. Do we have any other tools? One of the biggest ones for me is hull.io. Oh, this nice. is one of our data kind of sources. So I hold as in H O L D H U L L. Uh, H U cool. And this is a data source. It's uh it's kind of a data warehouse. It's like a Zapier. Zapier on steroids, I guess, is what they market themselves as. Oh really? So it allows me to store all the data and push it to whichever tools I need them to push to, regardless <laughs> if there are integrations or not. That's pretty sweet. We right. haven't heard the form before. Anything else? Um, I use Salesloft, kind of part and parcel of sales engagement in terms of a dialer, email. Yeah. That's obviously very good for the tracking. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of what our reps seem to use. And then as we go down the funnel, obviously, you've got your video conferencing with Zoom. And then you kind of move over to our kind of contract and quote system, which is hello, sign in the moment. But we are yeah. looking to move to Doc. Nice. Solid. Um, okay, okay, cool. Um, and out of those, or do you have a favorite tech tool that you're kind of using? Is that hold or IA? Uh, in, in terms of the power it brings, yes. Mm-hmm. In terms of the power it brings, being able to just easily clean data, move it around between the tools, and it kind of just gives me a lot more control over things that I do. I'm going to take a quick look at this now because it sounds super interesting. Really? So if, if anybody is listening or watching, hold.io is... James's favorite tech tool, the only real-time B2B customer data platform. A single source of truth to unify your MarTech stack and orchestrate your entire customer journey. It's good copywriting. Um, okay, awesome. Um, and probably related to Hull, how are you de- currently dealing with data quality in this well, in close? And then how do you think you'll deal with it moving forward to Salesforce? Yeah, so again, Hull in and merging that with Salesforce will become the source of truth. And I think it's mm-hmm. important to have this source of truth. Um, so as I said earlier, you, know, you need to automate where possible to kind of release the burden from your reps. So we can take data from LinkedIn and pass this over to uh, Hull, which then is passed to Salesforce automatically, saving them. Just have to fill in a few fields, but it saves the reps a lot of time going down the funnel. Um, and then obviously when you're, when you're manual, I think the best way to do this is, again, get the reps buying. You can explain, yes, this is manual, but every time you do it, I'm able to give you something back. You know, if you mm-hmm. think that this has got a bounced email, then I can go and find you the correct email. Or I can pass it back to wherever it needs to go. Mm-hmm. And that's crucial. So selling them selling them the vision. Exactly. Always so, sell <laughs> So what I'm hearing is when things are automated, so you can use Salesloft to take information from LinkedIn to into Salesforce. Hull. Hull, sorry. Yeah. Really? I can take information from LinkedIn straight into Salesforce. If you can code in JavaScript over the top of it, yes. Can you? I can't, but we have an engineer. Cool. Okay, so that's okay. And all that information is going into Salesforce, which is going to be the one source of truth. Um, but then when you have manual processes, you sell the vision, explain to them how, how much more commission ultimately they're going to get if they do this thing. 
Correct. Correct. Cool. Um, however, I've had we've had other people come on and have challenges where they have their one fourth truth, like Salesforce or CRM, but then they get all these duplicates, they get all this other stuff in there, and they're like, do you have any processes that you used to clean or? Yeah. So in terms of Salesforce duplicates, even at GoCardless, there were there were always going to be duplicates. It's very hard to completely avoid it. Again, this is where Hull comes in as such a good tool. It allows you to clearly and visibly see accounts and it merges them automatically based on, based on either a script you build or based on whatever kind of uh, keys that you're using, identification tools, if you use website domain or whatever you're looking to use. This is, this is such the power of Hull. God, these guys, they should be paying you, shouldn't they? They should. <laughs> okay, awesome. Um, what would you say is the biggest challenge uh, you currently have in your role and how you have overcome this? Um has to be at the moment a balancing act in terms of time and stakeholders. Mm. Migrating CRM is not easy as one person in a team, let alone doing the six or seven other projects that I'm working on trying to set up a sales operations function. Mm. It can be very tricky to be balancing you know, teams such as marketing, sales, operations, data, as well as migrating a CRM. It's, it's a lot of mm. time. It's a, as I said, it's that balance and acting. It's a fine line to make sure you're hitting those deadlines properly. So all of these different people are coming to you and they're being like, Joe, when, to, when are we migrating? Joe, what, when's the new SDR process being published? Like, And you have to be like, sorry, guys, and you have to prioritize your time to who you think is most important. Yeah, prioritizing, but it's also going the other way. You know, I think sales operations, it, it does have that, that beauty of interacting with pretty much every team in the company. Mm. operations as you would have it in general like speaking to product getting the feedback from why you've lost deal and uh, deal and passing it over to product like, there's there's always triggers within each team it's important mm. to kind of have that have that balancing act between them all we haven't heard that before i like that the, the, you, the, the beauty one of the beauties of sales operations is the ability to well the exposure you get to every part of the business because i guess you're going over to the tech team and being like can you write some javascript code for my application exactly um, okay cool um and do you have like a single metric that you judge your sales team by a single mm. um or what's the most important i guess the most important for us and what we're looking at like any company is always the mrr but we tend to we tend to take a delayed look on that so we tend to wait mm. just to ensure the mrr is okay Interesting. So, so you you would judge salesperson based on how much they've added to the MR in in a time period. But yeah, then... we like to follow the growth. So from month one to month two to month three, just to see that kind of trend of growth. That's okay. kind of the important things for us. But then you're not you're you are waiting until month three in order to really count that because the salesperson could have sold like the absolute dream. They get passed on to customer success, and then they realize that. They've oversold, and then they might churn early on. Well, true, correct, yeah. correct. We so know that if they um, if they paid you three months in a row, they're probably a solid. So it's just you're just focused on like the total, the top line revenue these salespeople are bringing you. Correct. Awesome. Um, and is there anyone that in your sales operations career that you've worked under or has advised you that you have thought like that's really kind of sent you on your way or educated you? Oof. Um, not so much in sales operations. I've only had a very short span and in terms of I've had two very small teams. Yeah. 
myself and myself and one other. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually think my M manager when I was a SDR was super influential for me. Oh, really? In terms of digging into why and understanding more from a, a customer's side of view, and then obviously when you look at it in sales operations, the salespeople are your customers from that side. Mm-hmm. So always making sure that you're putting them first or understanding their pains nice. and working towards them. I think that was what um, my SDR manager was telling me always. Uh, was that person also the person who like helped you move over to sales operations at GoCardless? Um, he definitely influenced me to kind of keep digging. Mm. Um, and he wasn't the one who offered me the job, but he definitely kind of motivated me to keep going. What's that person's name? Joseph Robbins. Joseph yeah. Robbins. Worked for GoCardless in Australia at the moment. Oh, cool. Awesome. Joe, fantastic. Now, that was a brief one, but let me highlight the things I really liked. Um, oh, yeah, we heard it a couple of times but before, but when you're trying, the way you influence the people in your sales team is to explain to them how much their life is going to be better in the future. You're telling them the vision. I really like that. Um, I also really like the part of the beauty of you being able to interact with every team. And then finally, one, a little gem there at the end is putting, well, we've asked people before, who is the customer of sales operations? Um, some people say it's the CRA, some people say it's the sales team, but here you're saying putting the salespeople first, they're the customer, and you learn that from Joseph Robbins. Exactly. Awesome. Joe, oh, do we have any more questions? Let me just quickly check. Uh, so uh, yeah, we, we answered the forecasting one for James. I have Jack here. How do you map accounts to someone who has just joined your sales team midway? Good question, Jack. So fortunately, this is something we do we do a lot as we're, we're scaling very quickly. Um, we have a very short inbound function in terms of we'll, after a few weeks of training, we'll start giving them inbound leads. Also, we're able to take old leads which haven't been contacted in the last three weeks as we have a very kind of robust outbound function. So we're able to pass them over old leads which haven't been contacted in the last three months, for example. And that becomes the kind of core of who they'll be contacting in the first few months. Okay. Um, we then refresh our lists every uh, quarter. So that then gives them something more. Okay, cool. So if I join now, I, I wouldn't be given an account that is already already in the sales process with someone else. No. Because I assume you're – well, I actually don't know, but your sales cycle, I assume, is not like six to 12 months, right? It's not like – No, our average sales cycle is about 31 days. Cool. Nice. Great. That's really great. You knew that off by heart straight away. You can tell a true sales off ninja by no. thinking. <laughs> um, okay, cool. So you're basically saying that the sales cycle is relatively short. So if a new sales rep joins, you can just chuck them either some inbound after a couple of weeks of training or, yeah. or you refresh lists every quarter. So they're going to get assigned loads of stuff. Exactly. Makes sense. Awesome. Joe, thank you so much for joining. Um, you have any other gems you'd like to share with the audience before we go any other gems um i mean one cliche i always use is that sales ops is the is the metronome of the revenue function oh, oh, oh that's good can you can you explain that because i don't really understand uh it's basically like saying you're the you're the kind of ticking beat for mm. the revenue function i say revenue because I, I always like to kind of merge marketing and sales together mm. they always have this misalignment between the two functions commonly and the why we think of them as two functions, I think, is something we should change. Yeah, they should stick together. Like uh, they're just an earlier part of the sales cycle. So we mm-hmm. have to. Um, so in terms of that, you're just making sure that everything ticks over smoothly. Yeah, like a metronome. Exactly. So you're actually saying there that 
sales marketing should be one team and you, you could just call that team revenue, the revenue team. Yeah, you can include the success in that as well. Yeah, that's the, uh, this is a big trend we're seeing as well. Mm. Maybe, so like, have you pitched that to the to your like COO or to anyone in the business? Pretty much, yeah, we, we tend to stay relatively aligned. Like at first when we came in, it was, even in the CRM, the, the values for our source was marketing or sales. And it, it's mm. not competition. Like, so I very quickly, it's like, just a subtle changes, inbound and outbound. Very quick change, but it's like, mm. the two functions work together. Yeah. Because if you have an outbound lead, which, you know, you can't get interested, you can pass that back to marketing to do some inbound work. Exactly. There's a link between the two. And then what's the source then, right? If it was outbound, then if inbound, then it was outbound again. Do you know what I mean? Like, Yeah. So it's the source for us. It's the source where it comes into the uh, into the rep when they would create the opportunity. Cool. So if it didn't work outbound, then it would change to an inbound source. Nice. Awesome. Joe, thanks so much for your time. You're welcome. And we'll speak to you later. Have a nice day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sales Ops Demystified Podcast. If you are listening on a podcast listening application, then please subscribe, rate, and review. And if you have any questions about the show, if you know a guest, or if you have any questions about sales operations, just hit me up at tomhunt at ebster.com. That's tomhunt at ebster.com.